values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. It's too late to rest on Mary's lap sleeping. Show. That is the Third Day Christmas album. That is Mac Powell singing with the band Third Day. If you want to get a beautiful Christmas CD or Christmas re- album, check them out online. It is, I think, the best Christmas album I've ever heard. So, um, And I'm biased. It's, they're one of my favorite bands. Anyway, Merry Christmas from the Like Broomhead Show. I want to talk about the East Valley and some things that are going on that I think are really important. Um the STEM program takes flight in the East Valley. This is a story. You've heard me talk about EVIT quite a bit. The East Valley Institute of Technology, one of the CTEDs. Everything's an acronym. CTEDs, which are career technical education districts in the East Valley. It's EVIT, East Valley Institute of Technology. They've got a couple of campuses. And this story is from the East Valley Tribune. And uh, um, it is – or I'm sorry, the Mesa Tribune. Um, so I'm just going to read just the beginning of this. Uh, once a baggage handler for Southwest Airlines, a local commercial pilot now runs an event that teaches kids to fly high with aviation aeronautics in their dreams. The third annual taking flight will take off at the East Valley Institute of Technology Power Road Campus um, in the East Valley. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is if you listen to the ideology behind this, it's about hands-on experience. The event is designed to engage people of all ages about careers in aviation, aeronautics, aerospace, engineering, robotics, unmanned aerial vehicles, rocketry, and many more science, technology, engineering, and math related fields. STEM plus C will sponsor the event and founder Paul Kopp said the event isn't just a handful of science minded kids a teacher has in their classroom. This is here's a quote. The event. This event is not just for those kids. It's also for the other 30 students in your class, because how do you know what you want to do if you've never been exposed to it? Right. This, to me, is part of the key to these CTEDs, the career um, technical education districts. The reason why I say that is for myself, the story and which I'm sure you're bored with if you listen to the show often, but it's it's the truth that I was such a misguided student because all I wanted to do was work and grow up. I did not think school was necessary for me, that I was going to work with I was going to be the strong back in a weak mind on a job site. And I was happy with that. At the time, I was working in restaurants, which I love. I loved restaurant work, Um, had dreams of opening a restaurant. But the idea was just working hard and earning money and it didn't matter. Education wasn't going to help me. What was it? When was I ever going to use these things again? And it wasn't until I was on a job site as an electrician when I stopped being just a helper and became an apprentice and started learning the trades. And then when someone started teaching me about conduit sizing and wire sizing and conduit bending and all of the mathematical equations, whether it's geometry or algebra, they go into that trade. And I realized, oh, that's why I needed to learn that in high school, that just because you're not going on to college doesn't mean you're never going to use this again. And it triggered in me uh, a desire to learn more about the trade I was in. And since I had the basic skill set, I was able to pick the trade up very quickly. Um, it was a great it was a great career for me for a very long time to take young people 
and to expose them to so many different career fields. And this is certainly not a knock against a college education. I, I want to make sure I say that. I think college is critical for people. I love what ASU is doing and how they've changed and innovative. They're so innovative in what they do, and it's a key reason why we see so much of the expansion of business with the engineering school there. I think that it, it's it's huge. But for the segment of our society that doesn't know what they're going to do past high school, they have no idea what direction they would like to go, to be exposed to this area, it doesn't mean 100% of these kids are going to go to this thing and be blown away and decide one of these areas is the way that they are going to go. But what it does is it, it, it opens their eyes to what could be, number one. But what it also opens their eyes to is it gives them an opportunity to see that if you can do it, I can do it. When you're seeing someone that's older that's in this field, that's an expert in the field that says to a kid in high school, listen, I was just like you one day. When I got the bug to do this, when I knew I wanted to fly airplanes, when I knew I wanted to do this, and here I am. I'm getting paid to do my live my dream. And it opens their eyes to things like this. And I think that's such a big key to education and I the hands-on part of this. Isn't it interesting? Like here uh, here at the, at the radio stations, um, we have a lot of interns that are here from Cronkite, from the Cronkite School. And they are brilliant young people. But you have no idea and even they may have no idea what career path they're going to take in the industry. What are they going to do with a degree from the Cronkite School? And when you get exposed with internships to the different areas that are available to you, a lot of times now there are some people that know from a young age, this is who I want to be, this is what I want to be, and I'm going to do it. And for others, when they finally see a door open in that area, but we're doing that now when kids are in college, which is phenomenal. Why wouldn't we introduce kids in high school to some to a, and maybe even younger than that into these career fields just to get a sense from a kid their age of what could happen for them? The idea of education is to make sure it's not just knowledge, but it's also the ability to continue to learn. We understand in elementary school, you get the basics so that you can learn. Up until third grade, you learn to read. After third grade, you read to learn. Getting that basic skill set, but then exposing kids to areas of life that may they may never even considered until they see it happen. How many people in law enforcement say, you know what, I was on a pathway or I was in a career doing this, and then I did a ride along with my brother or my cousin or a friend, and I – and I said, this is it for me. This is what I want to do. And it's adults that are making those decisions. Imagine exposing kids to all of these things and saying to them, all of this is available to you. And you can head in that direction now. It, isn't, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do it for the rest of your life. But isn't that amazing? And it's one of the reasons why I talk so much about the CTEDs, West Mech and the West Valley, but my association with EVIT because I know the people on the board out there. And I, and I, I know um, they just work hard. They're dedicated to making sure that these young people are exposed to different opportunities and then making sure if that's the career path they want to go to, that when they leave high school, they have got a, they are a big head start toward the rest of their lives. And what an idea for a program like this, where you're exposing kids to sciences. And the other, I think the other byproduct of this is then you see kids understand and buckle down. We all understand we are, we are more successful when we have a goal, when we have something in mind, when we're doing something. If it's, if you're going to, we talked with uh, Senator Cinema about running marathons and doing uh, Ironmans. If you have a goal to run a marathon, you're a lot more dedicated to the workouts to get there than if you just say, I'm just going to get in shape. 
If you expose kids to programs like this and you say to this, this kid says, I want to be a pilot. So the kid goes to school and now understands these math courses are critical for what I want to do with my life. These math courses are critical to the direction I want to go. Getting these this degree, getting this uh, is something that is going to be important for me to live my dream. I now have a goal in mind. I want to be in robotics. I want to do these things. So the coursework now makes sense because it's a part of a long-term goal. I love this. I love this story, and I, I love the fact that, that Evit's involved with this. I think it's incredibly um, – I, I just think that it's incredible that it's happening the way they're doing it, and uh, and I hope it's as successful as everybody hopes it will be. Uh, so that's just an update on, on education in Arizona. I think it's an important part of what we do, and uh, I hope that we it get these gets these kids going, and maybe other places will take up the same kind of idea. Um, in a moment, we're going to talk about another election challenge, Abe Hamaday. We're going to talk about what's scheduled with the uh, candidate for attorney general, what his lawsuit is all about, and his chances of success. We're going to get to that coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with the show. If you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, we invite you to do it. It's very simple. Never miss a minute of the show again. And I want to thank my good friend for sponsoring it this week, Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed cash offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. So, uh... We are still talking about election challenges. Now, I will tell you that I have I have empathy for some people. And if there's one person, if there is one person in a race that has reason to be asking legal questions about what happened on Election Day. Now, there is a big difference, my opinion, again, between mistakes that may have cost you something and something intentional. I've used the NFL analogy so many times. Um, if you're a football fan, you have seen the play a few years ago between the Saints and the Rams where there was a pass interference call that never happened that was the most blatant. Inter- pass interference call that as anybody's ever seen. They didn't make the call and it cost the team a chance to go to the Super Bowl. If it had been intentional, if a referee had done that intentionally out of spite or because they had some financial stake in it, that would have been a completely different thing than they just was a horrible miss of a call that couldn't be reversed. There's two different things there. It hurts just as much for a team but there is a difference in the minds of everybody else around. One is probably a crime. Well, there is a difference between mistakes that are made, but if if I were Abe Hamaday, I would be very, very uh, curious about what happened in Maricopa County because Abe Hamaday right now is behind Chris Mays by 511 votes. Now, there were over two and a half million votes cast, and he's only down by 511. So we are talking about a razor thin margin of victory for Chris Mays. So um, oral arguments for Republican Attorney General candidate Abe Hamaday's election contest are scheduled for Monday afternoon. Hamaday is trailing, it says, by 511 votes. Mojave Superior Court Judge Lee F. Jansen set scheduled in hearing Wednesday. Dan Barr, an attorney for Mays, filed a motion to dismiss. On Tuesday, if the judge does not take the action after the December 19th hearing, a trial is scheduled for December 23rd. So here's a quote. We expect this to be resolved next week. We expect our motion for dismissing. Dismission 
to prevail next week. If not next week, we expect to prevail at trial. Abe Hamaday doesn't have any facts to support his allegations. In response, Hamaday said there are still thousands of uncounted, uncounted ballots, and I'm fighting to make sure every vote counts. Um, I was with a group yesterday. I went and spoke uh, with a group in the West Valley yesterday. It was the Arrowhead Republican Women's Club and a great group of ladies. It was a lot of fun. It was a fun lunch out at the Arizona Broadway Theater. And um, the the discussion I brought to the table was about unity, about we all have differing opinions. We, we argue about things. We disagree about things. But it doesn't mean we have to be disagreeable. And here is another area. If you believe the election was stolen, you're entitled to that belief. I don't agree with you. But trying to throw me out of a political party because I don't agree with you on this issue is is foolish. I mean, it, it makes no sense at all. I'm not going anywhere. But it is also – it is we are defeating ourselves by doing it. Here's a story from AZ Central that was published yesterday. An Ohio man was indicted on on Wednesday by a federal grand jury in Phoenix for allegedly sending threats to an unidentified election official with the Arizona Secretary of State's office, according to the United States Department of Justice. This guy's name is Joshua Russell, who allegedly left multiple threatening voicemail messages to an Arizona state election official between August 2nd and November 15th. In one of the voicemails, this person, this, this guy's 44 years old. You are a terrorist. You are a derelict criminal. And you have a few short months to see yourself behind bars or we will see you to the grave. What is wrong with people? I, I mean, I'm, I'm being sincere. What is wrong with people? Acts of violence, threats of violence. It, it, it's as immature and childish as it gets. I don't expect people, and I made it very clear yesterday, I think that the the courts are where these things are to be handled. That Carrie Lake's lawsuit should be heard by a judge. It is her right to have this done. Just like an accused criminal has a right to a trial. We all see it as frivolous sometimes, but just the way our justice system operates, and it's supposed to operate that way. There's eyewitnesses to a crime. There are people that watched it happen. You were arrested in the act. Of committing whatever crime it was, you have an opportunity to plead not guilty and go to trial and force the state to make the case and prove it in court. And that's your right. And it happens every day. Just like in this case, if you believe that somehow you've been cheated or something has been done wrong where it needs to be righted, the courts are for that. That's what they're for. Now, again, I don't think the election was stolen. I don't think that at all. But just because I think that doesn't mean that the candidates don't have a right to have their cases heard in court. They deserve their day in court. And the the upside to that is they have to bring evidence. You can go on social media and you can say over and over again that it was people cheated and this happened and that happened and send pictures of things and and you can have all of that. But it means nothing until you get it into a courtroom and a judge judges one way or another on whether or not you're telling the truth. Do you have evidence? It's not what you know. It's what you can prove. And so it's going to be a benefit to everybody involved to get all of this laid out on the table and then let people decide whether or not there's justice or merit to the case. 
That's the way we do business. In a moment, back to the economy. Federal Reserve hikes interest rates, but they say they're not done. That's part of the reaction in the stock market. We'll talk about all of it coming up in just a couple of moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Wasn't this in the movie Home Alone? Yeah. That's a, yeah as soon as you hear it, it's what you think about, right? Merry Christmas from the Mike Broomhead Show. Happy Hanukkah as well. Um... Some, a rough start on uh, uh, to, to the show this morning because of what's happening with the economy. We are seeing uh, big changes. The S&P is down um, a little over almost two and a half points. NASDAQ is down almost three points. Um, looking for the, the Dow is also down, um, and it is down by 2.32%, 785 points. And part of the issue, and I talked about this earlier, it's not just that the Fed raised interest rates again. If you think putting things in perspective, and I've been having this conversation with some other people here, in the 1970s, how high the interest rates were. But now the interest rates are a 15-year high. Well, 15 years ago wasn't that long ago for me. And we remember rates were high then as well. They will come down, all of that stuff. But what the issue is, I believe, is that the Fed continues to say that they're not done, that there is going to be more. And that is where the issue is for people. Um, as a matter of fact, this is Rebecca Jarvis from uh, from ABC News talking about what's to come. The job of stopping out this historic inflation isn't over, and it's going to take a long time for the priority number one of the Federal Reserve to be accomplished. In fact, the Fed signaling that it will take at least until 2024 to 2025 in order to have what we would consider historically normal inflation. And that means they will continue hiking interest rates into next year. So, you know, you hear that as people now are, are having sticker shock when they see what kind of an interest rate they're getting on mortgages. What And it's going to take time for people to adjust to that kind of a number. You got to remember a couple of years ago, uh, an interest rate on a home mortgage was around 3% for some people, sometimes less than 3%. I mean, that is, that's, that's an amazingly low interest rate. So now when you see that double and more, uh, people get sticker shock. And if, But if you compare it to other times, not necessarily. So So we're going to see what happens. The other part of this from this report from ABC has to do with credit card debt. Even if you are not in the market for a big purchase, this will have a very significant impact if you're taking on new credit card debt over the holidays. In fact, credit card interest rates are climbing and they'll continue to climb into next year. So if you look at that average balance of $6,200, if you're only making the minimum payments on that, you will pay an additional $740 in order to pay off that credit card bill. So that is what's happening, and we we talked the other day. People's savings are uh, their savings on average are down about a seventeen year low nationally, and we are seeing the credit card debt increasing and increasing, which puts people in a precarious position. So when it comes to jobs, that's the issue here. And Jerome Powell from the Fed was talking about this that there is a job market unbalanced. There are still tons of jobs out there, but people are not taking them, and I, that is very strange to me. But what happens? What happens? when we see a job market that softens, when it is no longer a seller's market. You know, we had the great resignation going on where people were refusing to go back to the office. They wanted to work from home. If they couldn't work from home, they were going to find a job where they could. If those jobs, and I'm saying if, not when, but if those jobs dry up, 
Then what happens? And that's that's the issue here. Huge debt created and the, the concerns for people. Gas prices coming down. That's amazing. I'm, I am happy that gas prices have finally come down. It is truly for the working class that is an immediate tax that is sometimes unaffordable. Small business owners, when you're paying such high amounts for fuel, and if you own a small business, if you're like I was a, a service, I, we did what was called gang box jobs where I didn't have trucks all over the road. But I have other friends that are subcontractors that are service plumbers and service electricians and AC companies, and they make their living with their employees on the road. The, um, the enormous expense and increase in expense that that brings it as well. The good news is here in the Valley is they are saying that the housing market and the softening is slowing down. So for homeowners, we are watching property value go down. And it's a, it's a what's weird about that, in my opinion, again, what's weird about that is your home is only that value if you sell it. It's kind of like your 401k. If you watch it month to month, it'll drive you crazy. Over time, what is it doing? But we've watched the market soften from a, an enormous peak and an enormous increase in value. And then it softened for a lot of people here in Arizona, but it has not crashed like it has in other parts of the country. We understand that one, one area where it's getting very difficult is new home construction, that we are not seeing the number of permits being pulled here for new homes. What that means is this, that existing homes become more valuable because there are newer homes coming online as part of the inventory to be sold. So for an existing homeowner that may be selling a home in the next year or two, we understand growth is still happening here in the state of Arizona. And if they're not keeping up with demand for homes and what a lot of people are thinking, and I'm again, I'm guessing at this, but it makes sense, is that why would a home builder – Build a bunch of homes right now and sell them at the prices that are being charged right now as the market has softened. If they hang on to the land a little bit longer, if they wait a little while longer, when the market begins to recover and home prices begin to go up again, they can then build those homes and sell them at much higher prices by being patient. You're not going to build a home and then just sit on it and not sell it. You're not going to put in that expense. So if the existing homes can and will are going to see possibly a rebound in the next year or so here in Arizona. And we keep talking about the uniqueness of where we are. And I don't mean to downplay how much people are hurting here. Inflation is damaging the working class severely in Arizona. But we are as a state better positioned to survive and thrive in a recession because of the diversification. We are not set up for the huge job losses that may be happening in other places if a recession comes. That will be the key to the success to remain strong here in the state of Arizona. And you also have to remember that Policies could change. We have a new governor coming in. We have no idea what her priorities and policies will be on the economy. I'm not I'm not warning that it's going to be bad because we just don't know yet. And that's one of the conversations I would love to have with the governor-elect. I would love to have her on the show to ask her just that. What are your economic priorities? What do you see are the priorities for the economy so that four years from now, at the end of her first term, when she wants to run for re-election, she can run on the continued success of Arizona. So that is a conversation that I look forward to having with the governor-elect as soon as we can get her on the show because I think it's an important part. Again, it's about policy. It isn't about party. It's about policy. Do you have an economic policy that I may not agree with but that is going to continue the growth in Arizona? And I think it's a valuable question for all of us to ask, and I'm going to as soon as we can. In a moment – 
the statistic sounds staggering to so many people. Yesterday was the 10th anniversary of Sandy Hook. Americans have purchased 150 million guns in the last 10 years. 150 million. We're going to talk about that. Is that a staggering number? Should people be afraid? Well, we'll discuss it. That's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Merry Christmas from the Mike Broomhead Show. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, headline, Americans bought at least 150 million guns in a decade since Sandy Hook shooting. It's a headline. Americans bought an estimated 150 million guns in the past decade as a drumbeat of mass shootings and other violence has convinced more people that owning a gun for self-defense will make them safer. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much how it goes. And um, again, I'm a Second Amendment advocate for a number of reasons, but I also, like many, like everybody, wants to see a decrease in violent crime. So what is the key to that? Here, I'm going to just go through some of the headlines and some of the thought processes that are out there and kind of explain what, what where my opinion comes from on this. Uh, many New Yorkers charged with crimes will be connected with mental health and housing services soon after their first court appearance in an effort to speed treatment, Manhattan's district attorney said on Wednesday. The $9 million initiative, which will also include community outreach that is separate from the court system, will help defendants, some of whom now wait weeks or months before gaining access to care. Now, there is a big difference between a crime being committed because of a mental illness, and we know that that happens, that there are people that have a mental break and they commit a crime. And then they're not criminals normally, but a mental health issue causes it. The difference here and the problem I have with something like this is what you are doing is you're leaving the victims out of the equation. You are all of a sudden making the perpetrators the victims. Housing services, mental health care. Why wouldn't you have – if somebody wants that, if somebody is in need of that, why wouldn't you say as a requirement you have to not commit crimes? Instead of waiting until somebody commits a crime and then giving them help. I, I, I don't know that it incentivizes crime, but it certainly isn't an incentive to not commit a crime. And you want to know why people are taking the law into their own hands? It's things like this. I, I, I've told the story so many times of me personally, and it wasn't that big of a deal. And it's offensive. When I stopped a couple of people shoplifting, I did the right thing. I was attacked by two guys. I was bigger than they were. I wasn't I listen, I'm not claiming to be an MMA fighter or, or Chuck Norris. I'm none of those things. But I was not concerned for my safety with these two guys. And I, I they jumped on me. They jumped me and they wanted to fight. They were throwing liquor liquor bottles at me, said they were gonna kill me. Um and I just kept backing away and said, Get out of here, get out of here, the cops are coming, get away from me, get away from me until one of them put his hands on me and I took him to the ground and said, Get out of here and I let him up and his friend was attacked me from behind, but I was able to keep them at bay until the police showed up and arrested them. There was videotape. There were three or four witnesses, and I was told by a prosecutor, we're not going to prosecute this case because we don't think we can get a conviction. And I said, what are you talking about? There's video. There's witnesses that will go to court, including my own daughter. Nope, we're not going to do it. 
So fortunately, I was in this industry at the time when it happened, and I went on the air and I ripped the situation. And because I did it in a, with a big mouth and a big voice, I got satisfaction by the case ended up being prosecuted by another court. But the fact still remains that I that wouldn't have happened for me. Now, is it a staffing shortage? Possibly, because again, it was a fight in a parking lot. We're not talking about the crime of the century. But when you feel like you've been wrong and you've done the right thing, you didn't take the law into your own hands. You didn't give somebody a beat down for breaking into your car when you caught them or whatever. You didn't shoot them when they came into your house, whatever it is. And then the justice system fails you, the victim. You feel as if you have been violated. It is it is infuriating. And that's part of what we see. And I don't think people want to take the law into their own hands. Again, I I joke about owning multiple firearms, but the fact is I've never leveled, I've never pointed a firearm at a human being. Never want to. Never want to. But we also understand that the police are overwhelmed. They're dramatically understaffed in Phoenix. And if a nightmare scenario happens, we talk to the fire department. Let's go in a different direction with this analogy. We talked to the fire department recently. We had firefighters on the air here talking about the immense shortages in the city of Phoenix and how response times have gone up dramatically because fire trucks are coming from further away. Imagine having a critical medical issue in your home. God forbid, I don't wish it on anyone. Or a fire at your home. And hearing the sirens coming from off in the distance. Every minute, that size of that fire doubles. You've got somebody choking or somebody in a life or death situation in front of you and how that little bit of time, longer than it takes to get there, means the world, which is why people have fire extinguishers in their house, which is why they have a means to do something about it until the experts get there. That's how I feel about firearms. The idea that 150 million Americans are purchasing guns tells me that we have a lot of believers in the Second Amendment here and that realize that violent crime does not, does not um, mean that it's being committed by innocent people. And, some, and, and the type of gun people own is the other thing. Well, an assault rifle. It's such a, a ridiculous term to begin with. But that's what they're known as. And so they want those off the street if somehow that's going to make us safer. The vast majority of violent gun crimes are done with a handgun, with a pistol or a revolver. We've got to look at statistics and facts. You know, um, there's a story about the Oregon governor commuting all 17 of the state's death sentences, which means they now will have life sentences. In Mississippi, a death row inmate dines on pork chops biscuits in his last meal for before execution. This guy, 20-something years ago, raped and murdered a 16-year-old girl, and he got a last meal. You know, I'm not, again, I'm not a bloodthirsty person. If we got rid of the death penalty, it wouldn't be a hill I would die on screaming and yelling. But if we're going to use the death penalty, we should keep the victims and their families in mind. And what I mean by that is we should realize that every time there's a hearing, every time something else happens with that case, that family's wound remains open and is ripped open a little bit further. When you think about this poor girl and what her family had gone through in her last moments of her life, knowing that they were torturous, that she was raped and then murdered by this guy, and then the state they live in, probably still live in Mississippi, the state that they are from where their tax dollars have housed this guy and given him medical treatment for over 20 years, is now paying to make him pork chops and biscuits and fried okra for a last meal. We've got to focus more on the victims. You want to stop violent crime? Remember the victims first. 
That doesn't mean we're torturous. It just means we're focused on the right people. All right, coming up just after 10 o'clock, uh, we're going to reset our interview with Senator Sinema. You'll be hearing more of what Senator Sinema had to say on the show coming up in a few moments.